0: with BJ, the podcast where trial attorney and legal commentator BJ Bernstein and her guests discuss the latest issues from around the legal world. BJ is a frequent commentator on television and radio. She's unique in that she not only comments on legal issues, having been lead counsel on numerous high-profile cases of national interest, but her relatable personal style allows the viewer to understand the law behind the headlines and why it's important. Now, here's your host, B.J. Bernstein.
1: Welcome to Law Talk with B.J. This episode, we are going back to the subject of family and divorce and the most contentious part of it all, which is when you have children and figuring out custody and child support. Returning again are these Two super lawyers, literally, as designated by the organization that monitors lawyers and gives them that accolade. Ivory Brown is with us once again. She has her own practice here in Atlanta, Georgia. And also joining us is Tina Shaddix Roddenberry, partner at the law firm of Boyd, Collar, Nolan, Tuggle, and Roddenberry. Both established, well-respected, well-recognized divorce lawyers who are going to talk about the most difficult and traumatic part of divorce, as I said, which is child custody. So welcome Tina and Ivory. Thank you, BJ. We're so thrilled to be here. Thanks BJ. Custody. You know, that is such the fight in most of your cases. I imagine. What do you do? How do you advise a parent? Um, First off, in terms of how do you get to the courthouse to be the one who first says, I lay claim that these children should live with me. Or is that not how it works? Ivory's looking at me like, I'm not sure you've got that right. So this is why I have this podcast for her to 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 help maybe the misconceptions. Uh,
2: two words: best interest, and that's what you need to tell your client, um, because that's what the court is going to look at—the best interest of the child. And so I think that a a new way of dealing is. Occurring in our court system, and that is that it used to be, I think many people think this, and it used to be that maybe walking into a courtroom, the woman would have higher priority in terms of physical custody than the male, maybe based on traditional roles. But today, people walk into court, and the courts are looking at each parent as a custodian and looking to see what's in the best interest of the child. And so um, that is Bar that you have to hurdle. What's in your child's best interest? And it is not that you walk in thinking, I have got to have people walk into our offices with two words, full custody. And I always say, What does that mean to you? Because in our um, heads, There are two areas, um, legal custody and physical custody. And those are the things that the court is going to look at. And terminology is less important to the court than what's actually going to happen with the children and what is going to promote their stability, consistency, and happiness.
1: So let's get what is the legal versus physical custody definition.
3: Can I go back and though, and I will answer that, but can I answer, you said, you know, who gets to the courthouse to lay claim on the child? Really under Georgia law, Both in a married relationship, both parents have equal, equal custody there. You aren't fighting over equal custody at the beginning. What you're looking for is a court order to change equal custody when you file for divorce. That's an important point. See, again,
1: I am learning from my guests on the podcast. So in terms of the best interest of the
3: child, what does that mean to a court? The court wants to see which parent is, and it may be both parents. It may be that the child's best interest is that both parents provide. They're both bonded. They're both engaged. They're both he- mentally and physically healthy and able to parent. They're both um equally best for the child to have an equal relationship. Or the court may say, I think this child or these children should be primarily with one parent. And some of the reasons may be because the other parent's travel schedule or the other parent's work schedule, unfortunately, or because the other parent um, has never really engaged and provide the support. Or it may be the child has a special need that one parent is better equipped to make sure that they are taken care of. Um, And And when the court is ruling on best interests of the children, they're going to rule on what's legal, what legal custody should occur. And that is the important decisions parents make on behalf of their children every day. Are they going to be Jewish or Methodist? Are they going to go to a public school? Are they going to play soccer? It's the decisions you make. Are they going to have this medical treatment? And so the court wants there to be um, joint legal custody. There's a presumption that both parents continue to have the right to make these decisions for the children but the court also will require that if the parents are disagreeing on these major categories in a major decision then one parent over the other will have to be chosen to make the ultimate decision they're not going to leave a divorce and a custody case where one parent isn't entitled to make those important decisions
1: so it so it sounds like the minority of cases are the ones that are what we see in film where there's just this bitter batter battle over all types of things going on and that in general it's more joint custody that you find with your clients or is somebody or are we really more at a state where
3: one parent is the primary I would say that we're still at a state where one parent is more primary in terms of now you're talking physical right that Joy, there will be joint legal custody, that, and, and I think that's a national m- movement many years ago. They wanted both parents to be able to continue to be involved and engaged and make important decisions. But in the physical custody, I think it's still a belief that um, children are better in one home primarily, but there has been a change in the 33 years I've been practicing. It used to be the non-custodial parent would have from Friday to Sunday night and maybe a dinner on the alternating week. Nowadays, I think the standard parenting time for the non-custodial parent is from Thursday to Monday and then have another week that they don't have the weekend, that's alternating weekends, have the Thursday overnight to Friday, which has been an increase in parenting time. Um,
1: and that shift came from a recognition that the child wasn't spending enough time um, with the with
2: both parents or just to be more equitable? I I would say it's probably more of a recognition that the children need two parents. And if there is a willing parent on the other side who is willing to be present, then that should be honored and the child should have access to the talents and um, um opportunities that that other parent can bring to the table. So I think it's more of a willingness or a desire of the other parent um, to be present, and that has spearheaded the movement. And I think it's a good thing. Um, One of the things that we we do encounter is um, there may be a a person who has had primary responsibility for the day-to-day care of the children. And then in a divorce setting, you're going to have to allow the other parent access to the children. And so it may be difficult for that primary custodian to recognize or feel comfortable with releasing or letting the children go to have parenting time with the other um, parent who was not the primary um, custodian. But it's a good thing. And I tell my clients this, if you think that Maybe the husband wasn't as present as he should have been during the marriage, but now is going to have unfettered access to these children for four days every other weekend and has to develop a relationship or a stronger bond, then that's a good thing for your child. And, um, you know, in looking at it that way, I think most people are able to facilitate or accommodate the changes that come with divorce with regard to access to their children. Can, what I, if, can yeah, I add one thing? I think yeah. another,
3: in addition to the desire, I think another reason why we have more, both parents having more parenting time is because society has resulted in both parents working more. It used to be a traditional stay-at-home who was primarily taking care of the children. But when both parents were working, then both parents had to get more involved in caring for the children. Another reason why I think there's been a shift toward um, both parents having more parenting time is because there's been good research that has come out on the impact of children not having both parents actively engaged. And research has shown that that negatively impacts children, that they need for for their social emotional well-being long term to have both parents very involved in their lives so what
1: happens though when one of the parents either for work purposes goes to another city or state or they're choosing to go to another city or state as a way to try to get the upper hand perhaps in the relationship I'm not sure that's always the case but could be the case um how does that affect that general what you're sounding like it sounds fairly fair, you know, to four days, four days moving and and having contact with your
2: child and, and being involved. BJ it really depends on who's moving. If you have a primary custodian, the children are living with that parent and that parent is moving, it could impact and result in a change of custody because you are essentially moving and interfering with the other parent's custodial rights. But if you are the parent who is exercising that Wednesday to Monday and you're moving and you're moving so far away as to not allow you that every other weekend parenting time, then it could result in a change in your parenting time, but also your child support obligation because now you may have travel deviations for the expenditure of sums, um, the required expenditure of sums to visit with or parent your children during those parenting times.
3: When the non-custodial parent moves, Mm -hmm. just like Ivory was saying, what we typically work out is they will have more time in the summer. They'll have more time during the children's holidays off from school so that um, the travel either on the parent or the children isn't too much for just a weekend. So it, it shifts their parenting time. How do
1: you deal with a situation where there are allegations that maybe not abuse to the extent that the criminal world is involved, but that there's some sort of abuse or programming of the child when they are staying with one parent or the other? How does the court and you, as attorneys working with those clients, focus on, I guess, in essence, somewhat sort of emotional abuse? of or or trying to get back at the spouse through the children you know what you see on a hallmark not a hallmark right because those are all the happy movies but those movies where you're they're showing people's lives torn apart
3: i think what you're talking about is where one parent is trying to alienate the child from the other parent and so they are psychologically and emotionally really abusing the child in trying to convince the child that they don't want a relationship with the other parent and when we see this happening and Um, We, most typically, the court will appoint a psychological custodial evaluator, a professional psychologist who has experience and is knowledgeable about research, and they run a battery of tests, psychological tests, um, personality tests. They interview the child, they observe the child, they talk to witnesses, and they Um, if they determine that the alienation is going on, the recommendation will be from the psychologist, the judge makes the ultimate decision, but they'll recommend to the court that the other parent actually has custody and that there's some sort of therapy. It may take some reunification therapy if they've really been estranged from that parent, but the the thought is the research shows that, um, unfortunately, the person who is doing the alienating um, should not have physical custody under those circumstances.
2: And B.J., even if we... We don't have allegations that rise to the level of parental alienation. If there's a custody dispute, the courts rely heavily on guardian ad litems, and those are neutral third parties. So
1: guardian ad litems are, they don't have to be lawyers. Some of them are volunteers, and they've been trained to work with the courts and give independent um, advice to the court about what should happen. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. And when that guardian ad litem is coming into the picture. If you are representing one of the parties, how do you advise your client to work with the guardian ad litem?
2: Um, you, you generally want your client to be as open and transparent as possible and to cooperate with the guardian ad litem. Um, I try to be um, as Um, involved as necessary, but more specifically, as hands-off as necessary, depending on the guardian's specific needs or desires. The guardian will generally give your client a questionnaire and ask for the pleadings in the case and then conduct an investigation. That includes um, speaking with the children's providers of services, the school doctors, therapists, Uh, extracurricular activity providers and the like, and come up with a a speak to both parties, individual um, witnesses and the guardian request witnesses. And so you have as much input and the guardian conducts the investigation and then makes a recommendation. Could be a temporary rec- recommendation and a final recommendation. And the court still has the authority to either accept or reject that recommendation. But I find that guardian ad litems are next in line to the mediation in terms of things, good things that are happening in family law.
3: And my advice to guardians also include, in addition to what I already discussed, is I advise my clients to treat the guardian like the judge, that this is someone who is going to be having the most important decision involving you and your children than anyone else. And so to please be very respectful um, and that this person is not your confidant. I'm your co- I'm your attorney. I'm your confidant that don't assume. In fact, everything you tell the guardian is not confidential. Um, And I also set my client down with the statute in Georgia that defines best interest and go over the the, I think there are 15 or 16 factors. The court and the guardian will be considering and making a recommendation in the children's best interest. And I discuss each of those factors and have my client come up with examples of why they meet or exceed that factor and so why they should get custody in the children's best interest.
1: I won't make you name all 15, but can you give me a few of those factors that are important? Because I think that's important not only for someone in The Guardian and but I'm assuming the same
3: factors that a judge is going to look at the parents. Yes. That lens. It's it's bonded. Some of the things I've already mentioned. Are you bonded? Are you cap- physically? Do you not have any physical or emotional um, impediment, impediments to having custody? Does your schedule allow Um, You know, do you have stability? Um, You know, have you been engaged in their activities and their education and their medical care? Those are some of the factors.
2: Is that parent likely to foster the parent-child bond with the other parent? Involvement of extended family members, that sort of thing. That's a very important factor,
1: because extended family members can get really messy if I'm correct. again, in my world of divorce gone criminal, and so they end up in my office, and they're your clients and my clients. and we're you know, it's that extended family is very sticky because I don't grandparents don't have the same rights that parents do. Am I right? Very much do not. And that really blows in fact, the calls I get. Because people just kind listen. I love all the people who call me um, to to want to try to work with them, and and then if if I can't do it, I refer it to someone. But I tend to get a lot of grandparent calls. I can't see my grandchild. I want to spend time with them, or I'm concerned what I'm seeing. Um, Why is that? That the grandparents don't have any say Um, under the law? Do you know
3: the United States Supreme Court has issued court decisions that find that grandparents that parents. Parental rights are such highly regarded and highly held in the status of the law that a parent's rights vast exceed grandparents' rights to children. It's a constitutional right that is very hard to overcome. Is there any advice for a grandparent other than, I
1: guess, the therapy route of trying to be able to work with someone to be able to see and have them, connect?
3: Sorry, have them recognize that they, they are at the... Um, Bidding of their children and their son-in-law or daughter-in-law that they don't have much in the way of rights, and so all their interactions need to be, um, you know, honoring and respecting the parents and try to have the best relationship you can because um, it really is up to them on how much time you see. Obviously, there are you can bring a lawsuit and ask for some, um, parent, excuse me, grandparent rights of visitation under certain circumstances, but you
2: really want to work the best you can with the children, their children, and that. I think the laws are changing rapidly as we change the definition of family and the definition of marriage. And so we can look forward to there being um, more of a bent towards accommodating um, that extended family relationship.
3: There in Georgia, there was just a new statute that came out in July with the concept of the um, theoretical caregiver. Yes. It's someone who has been very involved. Like, let's look at a step parent um, until this law came into effect. If you are married and you have a step stepdaughter or stepson and you get divorced from that parent who the their spouse is the actual parent you had no right to have any kind of parenting time or visitation with your and you could have been step parent for tw- 15 years um, but there's a new statute that just came out and we're just we haven't had any interpretation of it yet but it, it allows someone who's been very involved in a child's life to have some time with the child which makes sense especially since some people you know
1: since they're two or three, four years old, they may know the step parent as mom. That's, and yeah. for a number of reasons, whether it's death of the person never was in their life or the mother or father walked away. That's really tr- Again, if we're talking best interests of the child, it sounds like that's trying to be recognized now yes. as
3: opposed to just yanking everybody out of the child's life. That's right. I was very proud of the Georgia legislature for taking a step in that direction because um, that had never happened before.
2: Or it could even include um, a same-sex marriage, but one parent not having a biological connection to that child. So yeah, we're, we're, we're moving forward and, it, and um, I'm hopeful that we'll continue to do things that promote the well-being of the child, including embracing all those people that want to love um, and embrace that child.
1: So one of the areas that I think custody can get very difficult in, again, it's kind of within the criminal ambit is which it, which is drug use mm. um, yeah what kind of things or what kind of advice that that you can give to someone in terms of if you have a custodial dispute and you believe that the other person has a drug or alcohol problem beyond social drinking or or, or whatever but
3: re- truly a problem that, that affects the relationship Those are the most difficult cases because especially if the parent who may be an alcoholic or a drug abuser is not acknowledging that they have an issue, Um, the courts, if it's a Alcoholism. Um, the courts can appoint an alcohol assessment. They can say we want to have an analysis and have you work with a professional to see if you have an alcohol problem. And then they will put some. If it's determined in a court case that there is an alcohol problem or drug problem, the court will put protective measures and it's in the parenting plan to make sure that they are, um, you know, blowing in sober link, that they are not drinking when they have custody that they are getting random drug and alcohol test to make sure that the children are not being exposed to their parent when they're parenting them to to their alcoholism and, and drugs. And there may be a period of time where a supervisor might be a, appointed to be with the parent when they're with their child to make sure they're not on drugs or alcohol. The courts are very protective of children in that scenario, but it becomes an issue of how bad of a problem is there and what needs to be put in place to protect the children.
2: I think our family courts are prepared to um, take on the each crisis that we're seeing in our communities, and that those include drug addiction and mental health concerns. And so um, to Tina's point, we even have in the um, reign of the guardian ad litem's purview an ability to have that guardian request um, evaluations that could be psychological or or drug-related, and to put into place a safety plan that, um, as Tina mentioned, allows for the protection of that child. Then worse than that,
1: there's another part where criminal law and mm-hmm. your kind of law intersect, which is allegations of physical or sexual abuse of the child. Yeah. So I know, and those are hard ones, but I want to mention it because it's a real part of... Um, there are a number of those cases, there are a number of those cases that are valid. And then um, I know because Tina and I've worked on one before where we were both convinced that it was a manufactured allegation um, and I was able to get the criminal charges thrown out and, and and it was a horrible situation. So how, first of all, do you handle that initial intake if 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 one of your clients is saying that's happened or it's happened where they're being accused and it's still in that family law realm before it moves over to the criminal realm. Um, or is the allegation enough a lot of times it just automatically punts it over to the police for investigation.
3: We, I if I am the representing the person who comes to me and says they are concerned I am we are very cautious in how we handle that information we make sure we get professionals involved right away who advise us because it, it unfortunately the other side will argue that this is just a, a ploy to try to get custody and the and the, the facts are not as my, our client says they are and so you want to be very careful Um, Before you make that allegation public and make sure that, for example, I advise my client, do not talk to the child. Don't interview the child because how the questions are asked are very important. You get a professional who deals with this and knows how to talk to the child. So
2: it's a very it's a it's one of the toughest issues that we have to face in family law. And I think a team just as you and Tina developed, I think a team approach is necessary. If you are representing a person who is accused and um You believe that there may be criminal charges pending down the the line. Definitely get on board a um, B.J. Bernstein. Of course, you would want to bring in a competent and um, well-versed attorney. You also need to undertake efforts to protect the child while the investigation is ongoing. And so you're going to want to at least on some level modify the parenting time of the uh, between the parent um, who's accused and the victim to make certain that there's not ongoing abuse um, during the pending investigation. And so you're going to want to get into court and modify the parenting time so that there is either supervision or it's precluded, at least until the investigation um, is um, fully developed. The goal in mind always is to do no harm and to make certain that the child is protected. And as you know from your work,
3: BJ, in this case in particular, the problem becomes for the divorce lawyer, You're going to want your client to be able to explain and talk about the situation and describe what happened that day when the child is alleging something or said something. And the criminal lawyer is going to say, no, you can't talk about this because these statements can be used against you. And so it becomes a very difficult process. That's why the team approach that Ivory mentions is so important, because you need counsel from the the criminal lawyer on how to handle everything.
1: So the other Last criminal piece, you know, I I realize I'm a little vested in it, but it is where our worlds collide. Mm -hmm. And that is that when with custody and giving, you know, the for a while, there, fire stations were becoming the place where you had to exchange your child because things were so heated, you couldn't even dare go towards the other person's house. So let's talk about the handoff of our children to one another? How does the law look at it? The courts look at it? And then your advice to people when they're in that level of contentiousness with the other parent. Right.
2: Truly, we again go back to those two words, best interest. The courts are going to Think that It is not in the child's best interest to be in the presence of animosity, hostility, and um, parental discord. And so they're routinely just um, saying that the transfer should happen at the child's school. And that's why the Thursday, as Tina mentioned, the Thursday through Monday scenario is so um, prevalent because parents don't have to deal with each other. They never have to intersect. The child is picked up um, from school on Thursday and returned to school on Monday. And so the courts are routinely avoiding that problem and protecting the child.
3: Yeah, we're seeing that's, I think, another reason why we're seeing something like that. And even in the summers, it's pick up from camp, drop off at camp or or daycare.
1: And if none of the or daycare, but if none of those options are available, still there's the standby independent locations or no, that's still just frowned on.
3: It happens. It happens. Independent locations. I'd say McDonald's and Star and Chick-fil-A have replaced the fire stations, but in a
2: public place where there'll be witnesses, if there's anything bad that occurs you can even put in terminology uh, such as and the parents won't exit their cards doing the exchange things like that to if you have to be more specific to avoid that conflict and confrontation there is terminology that you can utilize to protect the child from again that hostility
1: some practical things for parents and and i'm now in this hostile area again i'm assuming having their papers with them or in their car are on their person is a good idea. um, Most times if you're in a contentious divorce or have divorced and in a contentious custody fight, that may be one thing to do. Y'all are nodding your heads. Yes on that. Any other advice or things that you can do to help minimize one, the, the, trauma for the child you as the lawyer can help work with the client in the ways you've talked about but anything else that that helps um, though third parties such as the police being involved understanding
3: quickly um, to de-escalate it from an arrest um i'm trying to think of a situation where i've had that in the past yes having it, once there's a court order deciding who has custody of the children Um, If there's a fight over that particular taking the child or not taking the child, having the papers with you. Um, But I can't think of any. I don't I don't I haven't had a situation, thank goodness, like that. But immediately you have I have had situations where the child was gone, was to be picked up at the daycare center by mom. And the dad went and picked the child up and we immediately called the police and um, he returned the child. But I haven't
2: had what you're describing very often. Yeah, I agree. You want to make certain that the school or the pickup location has an approved list of parties that are available for pickup, so you're not having an errant person go pick up the child, and then there's some confusion about the whereabouts of the child. You also um, want to make certain that you situate your clients, too, in that hostility. And in that vein, you are going to direct them to co-parenting counseling. And that will assist them in their communications that certainly works better for the children or the uh, child going forward. And so it's just a tool that we utilize to assist the parents in getting beyond their inability to communicate and to work towards the best interest of the child.
3: And technology has also put some tools in place to help people learn how to communicate. There's now um, apps and websites like Our Family Wizard where all communication goes through this app. And so everyone knows that if there's ever a problem, a judge or someone will look at it. So it it teaches them to communicate in a much more positive way because and that's the only way they're allowed to communicate. So this nasty text that
1: I get in my criminal case later, you're eliminating that by the parties knowing somebody's watching this other than the two of you on your cell phones yeah.
2: having a fight.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And,
2: and most counties do have an automatic standing order. And there is verbiage in that standing order that precludes people from engaging in that inappropriate um, pro- communication process. And so it's a wonderful thing. And you can also enter into um, temporary agreements that have specific language precluding bad conduct.
1: On that note, it is telling me that once again, I picked the perfect tea for us to enjoy as we close out this episode of Law Talk with BJ. And we have been having a tea with the ingredient of Tulsi and it is manifests the feeling of peace and serenity wash over my body. So perhaps your clients, you need to give them some Tulsi tea on their way to the courthouse and remind them that peace, serenity, wash over my body for the sake of the children that are involved in the custody and the, and the legal workings that are happening.
3: Absolutely. Wonderful idea. Thanks, BJ.
1: Thank you for joining me in this Law Talk with BJ. Take care.
0: This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ music theme written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein Esquire.